Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel. Sword and the Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries. And Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. And I am not Jared Longshore. But you did a really good job with the intro. <laughs> I know. I've been practicing. I didn't even have to use cue cards. But uh, I'm, Jared usually does this part. I'm Tom Askell here with Jared Longshore. Actually, not here with Jared Longshore, but with Jared Longshore on this version of our Sword and Trial podcast. Jared and I are practicing social distancing on this day, April the 6th, 2020, as we are still in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. So, Jared, how are you doing over in your house with your family? Longshore home's doing good. Um, so, everything. You guys have a new baby. We do have a new baby. Little Eleanor Longshore has arrived, and uh, she's not yet a week old. She's sweet as can be. And uh, so, yes, we're giving thanks to the Lord. He's very good. Uh, amen. Well, Glad we could get on this podcast. Yeah, me too. Thank the Lord for the technology He's given us and uh, for our. Uh, what we, we what's Hannah again? She's an audio engineer or something. I forget what she is, but anyhow, she's got this magic box that uh, whenever she plugs stuff into it, we can talk like this, uh, even though we're not in the same airspace and be recorded. Hey, we want to thank yeah. all of our fan members and uh, Founders Alliance churches for your support. We know these are difficult days for you, and, and we've had folks that have written to us and acknowledged that they've they've had to back off their support. We understand that, man. We are praying for all of you. We do pray for you and thank God for you and uh, pray that the Lord will sustain each one, and especially churches during this time of uncertainty. Pastors, elders have uh, great responsibilities upon their shoulders as they try to lead congregations during this time. One of the things that we've done at Founders in order to try to encourage people during this pandemic when there's so many stay-at-home orders or safer-at-home orders that are at play in different states is we put all of our resources on the Founders website uh, at a 25% discount. So if you go to founders.org and go to the store, uh, you can see all the books and all the other things we have available there and order them at a 25% discount. And we'd encourage you to do that. So, uh, Jared, I don't know. Coronavirus sale. It's a coronavirus sale. That's right. One of the good things that God's already doing in the midst of the coronavirus is making uh, good resources available at discounted prices. And um, this would be a good time to acknowledge, too, that we are operating largely from our homes at this point in order to to practice the social distancing that have been has been encouraged to us by the Center of Disease Control and also our Florida governor and uh, the people that serve with him in the health department. We are able to go up to the office periodically, but our shipping is going to be a little slower than normal as a result of this. So uh, if you're used to getting things from founders in a few days or a week or so, uh, if you just be patient with us, we'll get it out to you as soon as we can. Just know we are not able to ship as quickly as we have been because we are trying to honor the uh, efforts of our state to uh, knock down the curve on this coronavirus. So that's where we are today. Well, grateful for the opportunity we have to be able to talk together like this. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to live as the church in the midst of this coronavirus, Tom, and uh, you and I serving together at Grace have had a number of conversations over the last probably three weeks about what we would do at Grace. And we actually decided as elders to assemble 
the congregation for public worship last Sunday, and we did so uh, practicing social distancing, trying to abide by all the recommendations we could. We had people in their vehicles, even one parking space apart. And there were a number of qualifications that went into us doing so, a lot of shepherding work to be done, even as we rolled that out to the church. And uh, knowing that there are so many pastors that are thinking through what to do over the next month, at least, where we have basically almost a nationwide shutdown, um, we thought we'd talk about why we gathered our church to worship this past Sunday. Yeah, and that's a that's going to be a hope a fruitful conversation. We probably ought to begin back before this last Sunday in the decision to meet, where we were three weeks or four weeks ago, as things were just beginning to unfold with this pandemic. I think shortly after the coronavirus had been labeled a pandemic, we had the opportunity to meet together. Uh, we were discouraged from uh, being closer than six feet to anyone. Uh, at that point, I think the uh, recommendations were don't have a, a gathering of people more than 250 or so. So what we did on that Sunday, which is now what, three weeks ago or four weeks ago, maybe it is, I can't remember exactly. Uh, we encouraged our congregation, anyone in our church that was elderly, anyone who had any symptoms whatsoever of being sick and hadn't been symptom free for at least 24 hours, anyone that had been exposed to anybody who was sick, anybody that was any pregnant women, nursing mothers, small children, anyone with underlying medical issues to stay home. And then the rest of us met at the church that Sunday when I think a lot of churches uh, were, were debating what to do and, and many churches just canceled that particular Sunday. We went ahead and met, but but we spaced out people throughout the, uh, the room where we meet, the auditorium. And we had less than half of our normal attendance. I think we had 110, 115 people or something like that. And uh, it was a, a wonderful time of worship, but it was a, a serious and, and sad time because we realized, okay, we're not all able to be together, but at least we were able to meet together to worship. And what our elders said to the congregation at that time and then in communicating with them regularly uh, by emails since that time and phone calls is that we're going to evaluate week by week what we do on the Lord's Day. And immediately after that, with the information we were getting from the federal government, our state had not really issued, uh, I think they issued a state of emergency that next week, but not given real specific guidelines. We determined it would be unwise to meet that next Sunday. And so we didn't meet that Sunday. And then the following week, the elders met several times over a video conferencing and determined that maybe we could meet in our church parking lot. Uh, last Sunday, that would be the last Sunday in, in March, and we're preparing to do that with the same qualifications that you know anyone that had underlying causes or any risk categories that have been identified by the CDC and other health organizations, stay home, don't come, but the rest of us would meet in cars in the parking lot, and, and then we learned on Saturday that uh, some of our church members had been exposed to the COVID virus uh, with a, a friend who is in the hospital still on a ventilator uh, who is uh, struggling against this virus. And so given that and given the, the way of the exposure, the best we could trace it in the few hours we had to do so, we determined it would be most prudent not to even try to meet in cars. And then last week, last Sunday, as you mentioned, we did meet 
And uh, we had a wonderful time of worship, but that was also, that decision was made because our elders got together, listened to, reconsidered everything that was being said to us from our governmental officials, officials, uh, looking again at what the scripture calls us to be as a church and determined that we could meet with uh, prudence, with extra precautions in place. And so I thought it was a great Lord's Day gathering, even though it was highly irregular. Yeah, it was irregular, and much went into our thinking on the topic. Just to recap, I think the numbers are four weeks ago, we met as a congregation in the church building. That was before any guidelines came down from the federal government. And three weeks ago, given federal guidelines and other factors, we did not assemble and we did not do any kind of internet church idea. Then we, two weeks ago, we also did not meet given the dynamics you mentioned. And then last week, which was only a couple yesterday for us recording now, we met in vehicles. And so we've had a number of conversations with elders, a number of things going into our thinking. One of the things that has gone into our thinking very much is the difference between a government recommendation and a government statute or a government order. And we've had a number of talks about that. It's been striking to me that many people have received government recommendations as if they were orders or right. statutes. And I still saw that language very recently um, from some government officials um, trying to chart that out. We've noticed that at a county level, state level, um, and likely the federal level as well. And so spheres of authority becomes very important here in understanding that we are um, we are part of a family and there's authority that flows there. The Bible teaches us about the um, husband being the head of the wife and therefore the fruit of that union. And then in the church, there's ecclesiastical authority, Hebrews 13, 17, submit to your leaders for the keeping watch of your soul, those who will give an account. And then there's civil authority, as I said about Romans 13. And there are there is some overlap, undoubtedly, and we're at a place where you've got to use wisdom on that count. But the, the conversation about what, what has been recommended to us and what has been ordered to us, at least for our sake, our... Um, Florida governor, uh, Ron DeSantis, in his executive order, which I believe there's language of stay-at-home order or a safer-at-home order. Yeah, he very clearly uses the uh, language of religious gathering being an essential activity. Yeah, let me read it to you. Let me read it, because he he has under there uh, essential activities and uh, essential... Uh, operations, I think it is, or, or businesses. And he says that attending religious services conducted in churches, synagogues, and houses of worship is an essential activity. And that was, we were, we were applauding that, that he recognized that what churches do is essential. It is not, <laughs> it's not non-essential. I think that language can be unhelpful because to say that a church cannot meet because it's non-essential, and yet a liquor store can stay open because it's essential, or even more egregious, Planned Parenthood can stay open, or abortion factories can stay open because they are essential businesses, um, that is an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our elders worked through that. And it's it's fascinating. It probably be helpful, Jared, for us to talk about... Um, 
why we didn't just immediately go to uh, doing a live stream service with a few of us gathering in the building the way we would normally do it, but with no congregation there, at least a, a congregation under 10 people. You know, we, we've discussed live streaming our services, recording our services for years, and uh, we've had some pretty uh, spirited debates about whether it is prudent to uh, to live stream our regular times of worship. But we've done it for, I don't know how many years, but it's for several years. And uh, despite drawbacks and hesitations, and we are always trying to offer qualifications to our people that what you do whenever you sit in front of a computer screen and watch what is going on in the gathering of the body of believers to which, of which you're a part, that that is not worshiping with the church. That's not what the Bible means when it says that we are to gather together as a church to worship. But it can be beneficial, but it needs to be distinguished from the gathered worship that the New Testament calls us to do. And so we decided we would not do that um, largely, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in my memory on this, but largely because we didn't want to unintentionally signal to people what so many are now openly advocating that, hey, it's okay, let's just worship online. Let's just do church online as if there's no real distinction between doing something virtually online and doing something in real life face-to-face in the presence of one another. And so in order to avoid confusion and miscommunication about that, we chose just simply not to do it. Uh, Though other churches have done it, and I I think have done it well as I've watched, listened, and talked to pastors who uh, are doing this week by week with their congregations. Is that that a pretty fair assessment of some of our discussions and how we came down on that point? Yeah, and I know people have a number of questions because it is an intricate um, doctrinal issue that we're navigating. So we, we... and in one, so in one case, you could have a pastor stand up and preach a sermon and record himself preaching the sermon and send that out to his congregation over the internet, and that's wonderful. Sure, um, that's wonderful. That and that is that is a person listening to their pastor preach a sermon, which they can certainly do and they can benefit from. Um, you, the question that we were dealing with is what is an actual, um, what is an actual corporate gathering, a, an assembly of a local church for the purpose of public worship. What constitutes that? And I would say if that pastor stands up and he's in an empty room and he's preaching and he sends it out to his people, that does not constitute local assembled public worship. He's simply feeding his flock with a sermon. And again, right. that's perfectly fine. So our concern was that that kind of thing was happening and maybe you gather a few other singers and you even put a few people in the room, but it's being called an assembly of the local body for the purpose of public worship. And now we, we don't think the whole body needs to be there. So what we did last Sunday was an actual assembly of our body, knowing that we were exhorting certain members not to come, but it was an actual assembly for the public worship of God of Grace Baptist Church, a thing which we did not do the two previous weeks. Right. So, yes, we. Um, I think there was a number of doctrinal issues that we were working out, and some um, some of the unintended consequences of the of what we saw people doing. We wanted to avoid by thinking through: Are we assembling the congregation? Because 
then it then it becomes very interesting because you actually have to deal with some ethical questions. A lot of these churches that are doing this, that it may be just assembling like seven or eight people, it, it's, it'd be worth them thinking through, are, is this an actual corporate assembly of this body? And if it is, who has the authority to tell people not to come? Yeah. And who has the authority to tell people to come? And are you actually telling your people not to come to an assembled gathering, or are you just gathering together a couple people to staff and not? You know, there's a lot of questions there that um, that we need to try to answer the best we can, so that we're in a good position as we move forward and we avoid some of these unintended consequences. Right, and we're not suggesting that we've got all the exact proper answers to those questions, but but we are trying to identify the questions, and what I think is very unhealthy is for pastors or churches to avoid the questions, to ignore them or not to even be aware that they exist. So as I said earlier, um, I, I know of pastors, got friends, know of churches that they have been doing the live stream from day one whenever these uh, uh, concerns began to be voiced by our government officials about gathering. And yet they are very clear. They say, you know, they, they send out information to their congregations. They say during the uh, recordings or the streaming of the service, look, this is not gathered worship. This is not what the New Testament means, but we're going to do this until we can gather together again. And, and I think that's healthy because they're putting up stop gaps and, and barriers against those unintended consequences, which I'm afraid inevitably come because of just the way that our fallen minds work. But one point to keep in mind is that there is such a thing as coming together as a church. I mean, when Paul begins to rebuke the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 for the way that they have mishandled the Lord's Supper and they have come improperly, to uh, gather at the Lord's table. He says, in the first place, when you come together as a church, when you come together as a church, 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. So there is that reality of coming together as a church. And whenever we record a worship service for our members and even tell them, hey, look, we want all of you at the set time on Sunday morning to, to get in front of your TV screens, get in front of your computer screens and watch this, that's not the coming together as a church. And so it's, it can be useful, it can be helpful, it can be edifying, but we need to make that distinction so that we're not blurring lines that a year from now, five years from now, will cause people to say, well, you know, I, I, we, we used to worship online and, and that worked pretty well during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. I think I'm just going to start worshiping online regularly. I'm just, I'm going to be the church online. And in fact, there are congregations that sadly are doing that. And, and part of the difficulty is a, a failure to recognize what is going on in the church. I mean, the church is an ecclesia, a called out body from the world. And at the very heart of a church's identity is its gathered worship. And whenever the church is living as the church, what we are doing is declaring the greatness of God together, declaring that there is another world beside the seen world declaring that the God who created us has redeemed us in Christ and Christ is Lord over this earth and he deserves to be worshiped. Uh, I love what Paul says about the church and, and the, the mystery of the gospel that's revealed in the church in Ephesians chapter three, whenever he describes that it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is now being made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So at a significant part of the manifold wisdom of God being put on display to unseen principalities and powers is our gathered corporate worship. And that can't be done 
separately. That can't be done with everybody sitting in their own living rooms and uh, just watching a screen. And I can see how people are confused on this point, Tom. It's like this, we've really been exposed in our anthropology, our doctrine of man. God created us body and soul. Um, and that has implications for the way that we go about our lives. We're, yeah. I think many people are sensing that you know, Zoom, Zoom calls are great. They're just not quite the same thing. Right. And there's a, there's a biblical reason for that, because God didn't just make us souls. He could have made us souls if he wanted to. But the body is good, and it's fallen, and it will be resurrected, and we will live forever together, body and soul. And so, yes, there is a, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name principle. That scripture's been misapplied, misunderstood, but there is a gathering dimension to what the church does, and it must happen in order for the church to be assembled for public worship. One question people might think, I, I would add, you can gather, as we did, we did not gather our whole assembly, you can gather your whole assembly, or some of you, the people in your assembly, even if it's 10 people. And it can be an right. official, corporate, public gathering of that church, and then you, you live stream it. And what I would encourage brothers who go that route is just, just help your people understand that, that we are actually assembling, and we are given the authority we have in Christ and the uh, providential situation in which we find ourselves. We are exhorting you not to come. And we're going to broadcast this to you, but we want to also claim you are not actually participating in this public assembly because right. you're not here, body and soul, which is which is an essential component. But you are, by all means, benefiting from watching this uh, gathering of God's people and listening and hearing the word. And so there's all sorts of good things that, that can happen from this. But just know this, that, that it is not actually, it's not... You're not even in an irregular assembly, I would say. I would say it's, a, it's actually um, in, it's, it's an illegitimate participation in public worship if you are not there, body and soul. And so we grieve that, and um, we communicated that to our people. It helps them as we try to shepherd them through this um, unique moment. Yeah, and one of the good things about this is grieving not being able to do what God's called us to do that we love to do. So the, you know, I think a, a lot of times we feel like, oh, no, we've got to mitigate the, the difficulty. We've got to mitigate the grief. So let's do this. And, and th- that's the way our culture is. You know, you have a headache. Oh, no, we, you take an aspirin. You know, t- take something for it. Or this is not uh, ideal. So, okay, well, let's let's alleviate it the best we can. And And I'm not saying that that's always wrong, but oftentimes we're too quick to do that without thinking about the cost involved in it. And so I would say to my fellow pastors, brothers, if uh, your congregation is lamenting the fact that they can't get together for worship, praise God for the lamenting. And that's right. It is right and proper to weep and to grieve over not being able to do what God's called us to do. That is a part of what it means to be devoted to Christ. And, and that is a part of a, a good, healthy, edifying, sanctifying operation of God's spirit for us to weep whenever we uh, are not able to do what we long to do. Praise God the longing is there. Praise God that something is being missed. So those are yep. things that we shouldn't do. Uh, quickly try to short circuit or mitigate because we don't like the thought of, of people being put out or, or not being uh, afforded what they really long to have and to experience. Another thing that's come up as we've discussed this is, is 
it's been highlighted that worship, our corporate worship, is not merely a pastoral tool. So uh, any pastor knows that when you're assembling the congregation for public worship, it's by all means an edifying experience for the flock. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only thing going on. We are called to keep up the public worship of Yahweh yeah. on earth. God is God in heaven and God on earth. He owns everything here, and he has required, called uh, for his people to keep up his public worship right here, body and soul. And so I'm afraid that sometimes that can be minimized, and we can think, well, we can do it in this other way for longer than we should, because we're thinking of worship um, merely as a tool that helps the shepherd flock. Right. And this, I, I, I know we're dealing with a very challenging situation because guys understand this, but the question is how much weight do you put on that? I mean, that's why this, this isn't going to be tough, even as some of, the, some of the orders are being extended now, is how significant is it that the church assemble for public worship, to keep up the public worship of God over against how significant is this threat and what does love of neighbor demand? And again, another dimension, some of the materialism that, I, that has that just subtly works its way into our thinking. Um, many people would say, you know, if you're gathering for public worship, you're not loving your neighbor, or you're at least risking, you know, not loving your neighbor. And I'm afraid some of that thinking comes from a materialistic understanding of the world, where the only thing that you can do right now to love neighbor is to stay at home. Yeah. Now, that is absolutely something I think you can do, and you should do. Don't go out and cough on people right now. Love your neighbor. Stay home, uh, especially if you're sick. Stay home and all of that. But we need to see that giving up the public worship of God on earth is also a way to love neighbor. Don't do that foolishly. Do everything you can. Take all the precautions you can. Some people are going to be providentially hindered. I know there's numerous churches that just don't have a parking lot big enough to do what we did uh, last Sunday. So you may be providentially hindered. But I'm saying we need to see the we live in God's world, and, and worshiping Him uh, is not only a way to love Him, it's also a way to love others, even in the midst of a pandemic. I've seen some good stuff from uh, Richard Baxter floating around about when the church would not meet if the civil magistrate calls the church not to assemble. And we've discussed that. We think in in extreme cases, in a temporary way, the civil magistrate can absolutely call upon the church to not assemble, and the church should honor that. Um, and so we're not at some wacky position that says, you know, we're just going to try to rebel anything that the civil magistrate would say to do. I think that is the problem that's out there. But at the same time, we are not of a mind that when civil magistrates recommend what ought to be done, and that we should just do that without thinking, without thinking about the Bible and what, what God calls us to do. It's interesting to me that has been, we had a number of discussions about this, that it seems we're at a point where the government uh, doesn't actually have to legislate a standard, but just kind of recommend, give guidelines. And then people really do start to police themselves and and start to take that as an actual order. And then, then there's resources given that could help you. So here's a bunch of resources for how to do virtual church. And it just kind of moved too quickly in that direction. Yeah, yeah. I think it is unhelpful for pastors 
to uh, simply take the recommendations that are coming down from experts or governmental officials and to treat those as if they are edicts coming down from civil authorities and saying, okay, well, we now must wait until the civil authority tells us that we can gather back together again. Um, it's, a, it's a misunderstanding, I believe, of our primary duty to God. The reason that we honor civil authorities is because God is the one who's ordained them. And we want to honor them. We want to respect them. We want to be submissive to them. We want to obey them in every God-honoring edict that they give to us. But if you're not thinking this way, then the danger can be, okay, we are not going to meet indefinitely. And we don't know when we'll meet together again because we're just waiting on the civil authority to tell us to do that. Some churches have already done that. They said, we're just canceling church for the rest of the foreseeable future. Some have said, we're canceling for the next eight weeks. Uh, our elders have taken the approach of we're going to evaluate this week by week. And so yesterday, you know, or su- Sunday night in our Zoom conversation with our congregation folks, I wanted to know, well, are we going to meet again this coming Sunday? I've had emails, phone calls about that. I said, I don't know. I don't know. Our elders will meet today. We'll meet again later this week. And we will make that decision based upon the, the best evidence that we can gather together now. <laughs> A point you yeah, made earlier, you I want to, I want to underscore what you said earlier too about the gathered worship is valuable for our neighbors. It it is good for our neighbors to have the people of God worshiping God in their community, because it is a testimony of the the truth that isn't visible, the truth of unseen reality. Psalm sixty seven is that prayer. God bless us that your name may go out through all the nations. You know, we, we desire for God to meet with us, to build us up so that the nations might be blessed. And so when we're gathering for worship, it's not out of uh, unconcern for our neighbors. No, it, it really is a part of the way we love our neighbors. And we may have to do that worship in irregular ways as we did last week, but we're worshiping with a view to honoring God knowing that that has benefit to our neighbors. Yeah, I want to add the qualification. I think you already said it, but I think there's a number of good, sound, faithful pastors that are doing some kind of virtual teaching or service and making Mm -hmm. appropriate qualifications. There are a lot of kind of evangelical-ish, run-of-the-mill evangelical that seems to be more and more untethered from God's Word that are zealous about this opportunity, not really lamenting much, but trying to advance things in ways that are, that are, that are dangerous and unhelpful. Absolutely. To the uh, if you, if you do, as pastors are thinking through this and they go, okay, I understand. I have, I have a pretty healthy doctrine of man and I have a healthy doctrine of the church. And I see the necessity of keeping up the public worship of God. And I'm trying to really weigh that against the threat against what civil authorities have told me. And regardless of what civil authorities have told you, weighing it against your own assessment of the data, people in your church that are looking at this, that have medical experience, and that then your elders saying, okay, we've got to make this decision. I want to add that if you do call upon the church to assemble, you're, you're creating a lot of new challenging shepherding opportunities or, or, um, or moments. So, for example... Uh, when we assembled the church, we we directed members in our church who at that time 
would have fallen into one of our governor's orders. Uh, governor DeSantis said, if you've been flying in from New York or a few other states, you need to quarantine for 14 days. So we directed them to stay home. Uh, honor the, um, the governor on this issue mm-hmm. and, and um, abide by that order. And we um, directed those who had any symptoms to stay home. And so this is love of neighbor, and we will not acknowledge that. We exhorted those who were in, um, who were elderly or who had medical underlying conditions. I think we even went to like, you know, pregnant mothers, nursing mothers, young children, um, to, to stay home and to know that the absent body was present in spirit there, you know, you're not again, participating in this corporate worship, but we, you can rejoice that God is being worshiped by your church. And so providentially hindered, we long to be with you once again. And then we added a whole nother category, very important one that says liberty of conscience. There could be a thousand reasons that an individual Christian would not assemble with the church during this time. And we simply cannot mark them all. We don't know each other's lives. And so we want, uh, we want those sheep to know that your elders trust you, like use the wisdom God's given you the word and the spirit to make this decision. Don't think that if you stay home, there's anybody that's gathering uh, that are the better Christians that are looking down their nose at you. Now is not the time to even assess those kind of things. So we trust your judgment. We're calling the church to do this, and we trust you to make your decision. We acknowledge this liberty of conscience principle during this time. So there's going to be a lot of shepherding work because then your people are going to miss not participating in an actual assembly of the church. Um, and you want to shepherd them well through all of that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people have raised questions about civil disobedience and should the church just worship uh, regardless. And we've seen some uh, high profile pastors and churches, one in Louisiana this last Sunday said, we don't care what the government says. They have no authority over us. We're going to worship and they get together just the way they always have. And then you got some kooks out there who are making stupid statements and they just ought to be written off as the charlatans that they are, that they've got authority over the coronavirus and they're rebuking it in the name of the Lord and, and all that goofy stuff that has no biblical basis whatsoever. But there are some who are saying, okay, could this become a matter of civil disobedience or is it a matter of civil disobedience? If a church chooses to meet in any way when the magistrate has said you should not meet or recommend you don't meet, or if the magistrate says you may not meet, so they forbid you and actually give an edict, uh, would, would it ever be appropriate to engage in civil disobedience. And and yeah, there it might be. That's why our elders are evaluating this week by week. Uh, if the if the governmental authority says church is non-essential and so you cannot meet together as a church. However, planned parenthood is essential and you can meet our planned parenthood can continue business and uh, the beer store is essential so it can stay open. Well, you know, I'd be tempted then to go to Planned Parenthood and have a worship service. I'd be tempted to tell everybody at the church, hey, let's just meet down at the beer store and uh, let's worship there. It's that type of foolish thinking, which I believe many of the governors in the United States, at least Florida um, and Texas and a couple of others that I've read their edicts that they've handed down in their, their executive orders, I think they're beginning to get that. And so they are specifically naming churches, naming the worship of God's people in a church as an essential activity. And that's right and good. Now, that doesn't mean we're free to do it any old way we want to. We do want to to show precaution. We do want to be wise and loving and caring. So that's what led to our 
drive-in worship service this last Sunday. And man, I mean, I I confess it was strange, but praise God, our deacons and others got together to make sure that everything was set up. We used a a simple PA system that was uh, significant enough to reach all across the space where cars would come in. We we had uh, deacons making sure that cars parked one space between each other so there was at least 10 feet and most times more than 10 feet uh, between cars. They stayed in their cars and we just set up, had a very abbreviated service. I don't think the whole thing lasted more than 45 minutes. Read scripture, sang, prayed, uh, recited the Lord's Prayer together, heard the word of God preached, received a benediction, and dispersed. And we did that because in that irregular way because we are taking precautions, but we did it because we believe that the gathering of God's people in worship is important enough to be willing to do it even in an irregular way. Yeah, man, that's, the point about civil disobedience is a, is a really important one to discuss. Because one of the things that I would encourage all my brothers out there that um, that have that courage and that are looking and assessing the whole civil disobedience question, I would encourage them to think through: have they have they labored to educate the civil magistrate mm-hmm. at the county level, at the state level, at the national level? And and I. <laughs> Here's an opportunity for us to see that we probably haven't been doing our job as ministers of God's word. You know, Scripture says, "Now therefore, kings, be wise; be warned, O rulers of the earth, kiss the sun, lest you perish in the way." Um, we have a book that tells us all wisdom is found in Christ Jesus. Have we been pointing them to Christ Jesus? Have we been helping them to just be wise? I mean, I so I I recently wrote uh, a letter to our sheriff here in our county. I listened to one of his. News updates, had some questions from what he said, and just wrote him to encourage him, tell him that our church is praying for him during this time. I can't imagine the challenges that are present in his life, in his family, and sought to uh, weave in biblical principle while I'm talking to him. You know, again, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, so I don't have to be. I, it's very interesting. Yet now, therefore, kings be wise. You, the only American context we have for that in many situations is some rebellious pastor that's doing something crazy that starts to cite Psalm 2, you know? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. where's the where's the man Where's the man that is actually going, uh, writing and to the governor, to the uh, your county commissioner, and, and saying, you know, we're encouraged by this, or praying for you during this time, and here's some, here's some word. Now, they might not want that, or everybody might think, well, they don't want to hear from me. Well, you're a, you're a minister of God. And the scripture says that that man is a minister of God. He's also called a minister of God. You're both called ministers of God, and you function in different spheres. But boy, more than ever, the one who has the Word of God should be using that. And yes, it would be grievous if it comes to um, a foolish civil magistrate and having to um, having to disobey um, an order that is clearly contradictory to Scripture. But regardless of whether we end up there, I would say we need to seize the opportunity to teach God's word, yes, to the church and shepherd the flock of God that is among you, but also proclaiming that word to a lost and dying world and proclaiming that word to those who are servants of God in the civil realm who, quite honestly, are having to make some decisions that they just they yeah. probably don't have a lot of examples to look to. Yeah. And if they don't have uh, the wisdom of God, they're going to do foolish things. I think we try to bear with them as much as we can, but we also, boy, it, it is time to open up God's word and to teach them about wisdom 
especially when we see them making foolish decisions. Yeah, that's a great word uh, to try to educate people from the Word of God. One of the other things that we've done, and I don't want to forget this at all, is very early we put out into our community that our church is willing to serve anyone in uh, southwest Florida, anyone in Cape Coral, the cities where our members are, that needs help. If you need medicine, if you need uh, uh, transportation, if you need somebody to grocery shop for you or bring groceries to you, we've got people that are willing to do that. And so we've got a list of volunteers. Our, our deacons oversee it. I heard of a case that uh, just in the last couple of days, a, a woman who's got a medical condition reached out to us because she saw the notices that we put out uh, in our community about that. So I would encourage pastors and churches also look for opportunities to minister grace during this time. And to do that, we're going to have to build each other up. We're going to have to encourage our folks to live by faith and not by fear. Uh, man, there's so many news sources that are uh, seemingly you know, racing to the bottom to see who can be most uh, fearful in the way that they present what's going on. And if you listen to them and if you forget that there's a God, then you can be overwhelmed with fear too. But we have a God who raises the dead. And so that doesn't mean that we're immune to coronavirus and Christians, godly people are going to die from this virus, no doubt, as that as has happened throughout history. But brothers and sisters, we need to be filled with faith. Take every caution that we should take, but be filled with faith. The early church grew during times of plagues because when Roman citizens were abandoning their own and leaving people who were afflicted by the plague, Christians went and ministered to them. Christians were the ones who in the name of Jesus were confident and if their lives were uh, afflicted by the plague and they died, they knew that they would go to be with the Lord, which is better by far, as Paul says. So we need to look for opportunities to minister to our neighbors. Uh, one of our men last night said as he walks his neighborhood, he prays for his neighbors uh, by name now. And we've engaged our neighbors over the last week or two, uh, more so than any other two-week period that I can remember because they're sitting in their yards, they're out of work, they're walking as well. And Wonderful opportunities, gospel conversations. Another one of our men uh, talked about uh, bumping into a guy at a hardware store, and not literally, they were. He said they stayed ten feet apart. But anyway, a conversation ensued, and he was able to to engage him about the gospel. This man's brother's a pastor, and. Uh, he says, well, I'm just the black sheep of the family. And so Tim said, yeah, well, I am the black sheep of my family too, but God has changed my life. I'd like to talk to you. They exchange phone numbers. He's following up with him. There are gospel opportunities all around us during this time. And brothers and sisters, we need to be full of faith, not fear. Pastors, encourage your people to be full of faith, to remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so it doesn't matter what this pandemic does or doesn't do to us individually or to those whom we love. We have the gospel of grace. We have the only message that saves people from hell, the fact that Christ came into the world to redeem the lost. And so let's make that message known. Look for ways to minister that grace during these difficult days. Yeah, on the fear front, before we jump off here, that, that pastors need to shepherd their flock now so that whenever they do, listen, you know, there's an arc to this coronavirus. But whenever they do reassemble, um, shepherd them the best you can so that if someone did get coronavirus and someone tried to track it back to one of your assemblies um, on two fronts, one, be able to point to why precautions you took when you did 
reassemble. And so actually point to this and say, look, we, we weren't foolish. We took precautions. But secondly, get them to the place where if that were to happen, that um, everyone's not panicking, thinking you made the wrong decision. Yeah. Like there, that, yes, we, we, we assembled to worship the trying God and we took precautions uh, that we could. And if this does track back, we, we have a church that would grieve someone uh, getting sick, even potentially dying from this. But they would also be in that moment remembering that we worship the triune God and we took precautions and we're not God. Mm-hmm. And there are worse things than death. I try, I've been trying to get my mind and heart around that for my own family. Should something happen in this, in this pandemic or virus? And I want pastors to lovingly, gently, um, but steadily, according to God's word, shepherd your people to that place. I think we're going to have to get there as people think about um, how to reassemble their churches at some point. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today on this podcast, uh, this unusual podcast. We're not able to be together, but uh, we are able to uh, meet and, and record this separately from our own homes. Appreciate you being with us. Don't forget the resources available at foundersministries.org. Go to the store, 25% off everything in our bookstore uh, for the month of April. It's our coronavirus discount. Uh, if we can help you in any way, don't hesitate to email us. Uh, give us a message on through the Family uh, Founders Alliance membership uh, network. We would be happy to try to help you in any way that we can during this time. Thanks for listening. God bless.